One man, 30 days, 678 games, no online purchases. Man, I mean, that in itself is a quest, and that is what the film Nintendo Quest is about. About going after those games without using any of those sweet little uh, cheats on the side. And we are happy to be talking with the man behind that quest, Jay Bartlett. Thanks for coming on the show and talking with us. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure. Enjoy your show a lot. Thank you for that. And I, I, I'm enjoying that background. I mean, it looks sweet. And before we started, you were telling us it's game room one of two. And then I'm just like, are you kidding me? How many people are just dying to have one game room and looks awesome? You have two? Uh, yeah, I'm working on two. Um, this was the original one. And uh, what can I say? There's just too many, too many games. And that's by no means bragging. It's just I might have a little bit of a problem, so it's had to extend into another room in the house. But hey, my girlfriend still lives here, so I'm doing something right. That's got to be a good problem to have, though. I mean, I know it can get expensive, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk about as far as collecting as well. But um, let's start with just in terms of gaming itself. I mean, I think to get to the point where you want to do like a film documentary like Nintendo Quest, and just get into collecting itself, you know, it must have been something that sparked your interest when you were very young. Can you tell us about your first gaming experience? My first gaming experience? Yeah, man, for sure. It was uh, The Empire Strikes Back on uh, the Atari 2600. It was the first game I ever owned. My first actual gaming experience was, uh, I don't know which version of Pong it was. I think it was Atari's Pong, but that was at my aunt's way when I was like in the late 70s and I was just fascinated by it and I just loved it and I just remember sitting down playing against my cousins and time just was gone you know it was like three hours later we're getting called for dinner I'm like whoa what the hell like what just happened you know so I got sucked in right from the very beginning was there like um, a specific overall console like did you get into the whole console one is better than the other or it, that, that, that didn't really matter. You play whatever you thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly had favorite games, but I was never one to say this is better than that. Um, I was fortunate enough to have my mom really be supportive. I mean, she, she got me into this. She got me into Star Wars, so let's just blame her. It's her <laughs> fault. <laughs> and uh, she was fortunate enough to... Uh, See when you know when when the Genesis came out when the the NES was out and I'm like mom you know I, I gotta get this new one the graphics are better and while her not really understanding what that meant she still supported me and so I pretty much had most most systems most of the mainstream systems and then when I was old enough to work I started working at uh, 13 years old and then it was just I bought them all yeah every paycheck went to games pretty much. Well, that's got to be pretty cool, though. I mean, to have a you know parent that you know supported or at least wasn't against gaming, because I know a lot of people who have even gone on to do something in gaming talks about how they had to fight constantly because their parents just didn't get it. Well, my dad didn't. That's a whole other story. Um, my mom didn't get it, but she certainly wanted to make me happy, right? And that's what made me happy. And I, I, I told you, I blame her to this day. I'm like, you bought the twenty six hundred. It's your fault. So. <laughs> At what point did you get into collecting? Because, I mean, obviously, you know, especially back in the day, you would buy these cartridges and, you know, maybe you would lend them to your friends. And then eventually 
either you got to the point where you said either I want to see if I can trade these in, if that was an option, or it kind of just sat somewhere. When did it get to the point where you said, hey, you know what, I want to collect these and, and actually put them on display? Yeah, that was, um, I'm going to reference your interview with Rob, and he almost said the same thing that's going to come out of my mouth, where I remember when the, the new stuff was coming out, so the, the NES was out, just talk the mainstream stuff, and then Genesis and Super Nintendo were out. And I remember, you know, nobody wanted Nintendo stuff. The guys that, that I hung out with, they all wanted the new stuff. And I didn't really understand that. I mean, I, I wanted to play the new stuff too, but I'm like, hey, you know, I don't want to get rid of Super Mario 3 because I'm pretty sure I'm going to want to play that again in a few years, right? So um, I remember a few times I did get rid of a couple of games and one of my systems, and I felt so horrible and guilty and... I really felt like I, I, I sold off like part of my, like if I had children or something, you know, it was a family member I was getting rid of. So uh, right off the bat, yeah, I, I didn't like trading stuff in. I didn't like selling stuff off. I just amassed a collection. So everything you see back here for the most part, like the NES, the Super NES, all that stuff, it's all my original stuff. Um, so yeah, I just hung on to it much like Rob did uh, when we were growing up. So. I always, you know, something I was always curious about as far as collecting, because, like, I collect baseball cards. And there was a point where there was a number of, and comic books, too. There was a point where I liked certain baseball players and I liked certain comic books. But then it was like, oh, this is a number one written by Todd McFarlane. I'm not really into this character, so I don't think I'm going to get it. But then you're like, I'm a collector. I should. As a gamer, was there, like, I guess a, a divide between saying, I like this Nintendo game, I want to buy it, and it becomes part of my collection. Or, I don't really like this Nintendo game, but I have to get it because it needs to be part of my collection. Are we talking, like, early on? Yeah, or like, early on. No, early on, I just went for the games that I could play over and over again. I remember there used to be a little rental store. Oddly enough, it was called Nintendo Headquarters. It wasn't, but that's what it was called. It was just actually down the street from where I live now. And I rented, every single weekend, I rented Contra for NES. And I rented it so many times, I could have bought it two or three times over. Um, so, no, I pretty much just stuck to the ones that I really, 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 really loved to play over and over again that had good replay value. Uh, I didn't really have the need back then to have the entire set. So that's something that's just kind of amassed over maybe the last 10 years. So... So later on, it was a point where even if you didn't really enjoy the game itself, you wanted to get it for the collection aspect. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about this in countless interviews. Um, video game collecting is a game. If you really think about it, going out there and hunting, going to the garage sales, the thrift stores, blah, 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 that's a game in itself the thrill of the hunts, the you never know what kind of gem you're going to find. You never know if you're going to find, a, you know, a little Samson under a box or something like that. You just never know. So for me, while I still am an avid gamer, I really enjoy the collecting aspects just as much as the actual game. I love getting out there and finding this stuff. So that's really when we were starting to structure the film, um, we took out eBay, we took out the internet, because we wanted to do a throwback and say, hey, look at the experience you're going to get if you go out there and find it yourself. 
you're gonna get you know you're gonna get in the car with your buddies and you're gonna have memories tied to each of those games it just means more do you know what I mean so anyway. <laughs> what would you say was a game that you purchased and you know maybe it was kind of expensive and then you looked at the game itself and you're like man this game isn't that good and I I believe I can't believe I paid a lot I mean did did that ever happen because I always figured like there must be some like really obscure NES game because there were so many NES games that came out at one point made by everybody and it must be one that was rare but it was totally just it sucked and you're like man I gotta buy it but damn honestly there's nothing that comes to my mind however I will say two that stick out are our two favorites of mine and one was Super Mario 3 which uh I believe in Canada it was uh, April 1990 that got released and my mom actually got that for me for Easter and I remember I don't know if it was wrapped or not but I remember looking at the box and she left the tag on and it was $99.99 from Toys R Us so it was a hundred dollar cart holy cow like wow like crazy and one step further would be uh so a year or two later when I got Fantasy Star 2 for Genesis, and I bought that myself when I started working, and that was 129 at Toys R Us. So those were some expensive but good ones. There's nothing really that sticks out in my mind that was, you know, above average that I would have paid for. I would have done my research, so. Were you ever surprised about some games that came out? Because, uh, like, when I was talking to Rob, I was talking to him about how there were so many accessories but there was also a lot of games at some point that was just like, hey, Nintendo's super famous, let's make a game, and it's terrible. Was there something like that that even you discovered, you're like, this is a game? Yeah, Taboo for NES. Have you ever played that? No. It's um, tarot cards. You're just drawing tarot cards. There's no game to it. That That's all it is. I don't know if back then that was supposed to be your tarot card reading or whatever, but yeah, that's one game that... You know, we recently came in contact with, and we were playing. And I was just like, "What the hell is this, man? Like, seriously, like, who developed this?" There were some guys who sat down and were like, "This is a really good idea. Let's make virtual tarot cards." I was like, "Okay." May was back during the Miss Cleo days when she was a, a thing, and they decided. <laughs> yeah. There's that, and there's uh, uh, some weird like. Have you ever heard of Ghost Lion for NES? No, I haven't heard that either. Ghost Lion is a really bizarre RPG with box art style of like the old Conan or Red Sonya stuff of the 80s. Very like, I don't know, that, that one's just really weird. And it was an ongoing joke uh, when we were shooting that myself, Rob, and the producer, uh, Jordan, we actually picked one of these really obscure games and... When they found it, it was like, you know, their turn to pick the bar for the night or something like that. It was We just had a lot of fun with it. And Ghost Line was actually Jordan's. Um, check it out after this, man. It's, it's weird. <laughs> as far as, you know, the beginning of putting something together, because I think that, you know, what happens, especially in, in gaming sometimes, is you want to do something. You want to put something together, whether it's a, a film, a website, a book, and you have these great ideas, but a lot of people have a problem getting to that next step. Now, obviously, the film's finished, even though it's not released yet, but we know it will be. What was the process like in the very beginning? You know, like, were there challenges to get over that hurdle even before you put the Kickstarter in? 
Yeah, I mean a good script, and you know what I mean when I when I say that the the movie is by no means scripted, but I mean putting together a good a good idea that would just unfold to unfold, uh, you know, on the the film screen when you're watching it, and there wasn't a whole lot besides the main idea, and that we wanted to talk to industry personalities. A lot of the list I came up with because there was just guys that I'm like, wow, this is a chance for us to hang out and talk to Todd Rogers or Bill Mitchell. And, you know, those are guys I've idolized for years. Right. Um, so we had that part and then we had the collecting part. It initially started where Rob wanted to shoot a documentary on collecting and it was going to be me with my star Wars or with games. And it was just really, it's been done a million times, right? So then we're like, okay, well, how about you, you, you bring the crew and you like film me finding games. And that was all good, but I mean, that's done a billion times every day. There's pickup videos, which there's nothing wrong with those, but we just wanted to do something a little bit different. So then Rob came up with kind of like the rules um, and it just went on from there. Um, the biggest challenge was... I don't know, man. It was it was a lot of hard work that we put into it right off the bat, and I think that was the most challenging thing is that every single day, and I know you just started following me on Facebook and all that, but you've had Rob on for a while, I assume. Every single day, all he does is work, and he's promoting and pushing and pushing, and I've really learned through him that only through that will you succeed. I've seen people do a post, they make a, a wonderful video and then they post it once and that's it. And it's, it just, you know, fades away. You have to constantly be in people's faces and say, Hey, look at this, check this out. We've worked hard on this. That's been the most difficult part is it's, it's fun, but it's just constantly promoting, constantly working. Does that make sense? Oh yes, definitely. Because uh, you definitely see, even with games where, there may be a lot of great indie developers or something like that and either because of budget or time or a combination of both they're not able to get enough you know views enough hits enough people you know talking about them that it really gets out there actually speaking of time i mean that must have been difficult not only just the the 30 days but having to deal with working you know uh you know family life girlfriend stuff like that yeah. i mean that, can you tell us a little bit about that challenge of time? Of course, actually, you just triggered, I think, my my biggest fear I had was we came up with the idea in May. And honestly, I'm by no means a rich guy. I have a regular job, that kind of deal. And so I had three, I will say four or four and a half months to save because every game in this film is purchased by me with my money. It's just as simple as that. And all, all the while in the back of my mind, when the Kickstarter is going, I'm getting excited, I'm getting pumped, I'm nervous, I'm scared, all these emotions are going through me. And Rob would always say, you know, if the Kickstarter, if we don't make our goal, this isn't going to happen. So I was always like, oh my God, like, I was excited, but trying to calm myself at the same time, because I really do feel that he's made a, a really special movie. And I hope everyone does enjoy it, because we worked really, really hard on it. Um, to get back to what you're saying, balancing work, yeah, it was tough because I, I did 
have 30 days. So he's like, okay, go. The clock's ticking down. But I still had to work. I think we, we, we mapped it out to 18 or 19 days of me game hunting total. Because the rest, there were some days I couldn't. There were some days I had to be at work at 9 o'clock. So, I mean, I live in London, Ontario. You know, Toronto is here and there's a few other cities. But we couldn't really go too far because I had to come back the next day to work. So it really ended up only being 18, 19 days. Um, a girlfriend I didn't have one at the time, so that was okay. But uh, it was a lot of fun, man. Can you tell us, um, you know, we love interviewing people, and I especially love doing interviews and loves talking to different people. The great thing about a lot of documentaries is all the different people that you get to meet, talk, and you're saying, and saying what Rob was saying, how that was just a big enjoyable part of it, just being able to talk to these people. Can you tell us a little bit about that, that interaction, being able to talk to the different uh, people that you have in the film? Yeah, meeting, again, gaming celebrities, I call them, because they're they're guys that I've, I've looked up to my entire life. I'm 39, so I very much know of Todd Rogers going up through the 80s and him being the very first professional video game player of all time, having over 2,000 records, world records, um, being in King of Kong, which I'm a huge fan of. I love I love that film. Like, Rob and I have seen it so many times. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to get to talk to Todd Rogers? Like, are you kidding me? And the analogy I always make is it's like if you're, like, a hockey fan and you get to hang out with Wayne Gretzky for a day. That's what it was like. And even a step further now, we're actually really close friends. So it just blows my mind every day. Uh, we got to meet Mason Kramer, who is the uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 world record holder, Super Mario World record holder, John Pompa. Oh, geez. Uh, Greg Pabich, who's famous for the Action 52. Uh, Cheetah Man, I'm sure you know all that stuff. Um we actually got to go to his house and we got to hold the prototype cart of Action 52 and just cool stuff like that, man. Rob got to interview and meet Thor Ackerland, uh, the the winner of the Nintendo World Championships 1990. Um, and that in itself was rewarding just to me because it was like, wow, it's like I felt like I won the lottery. I get to hang out and talk to all my uh, all these celebrities that I've looked up to. So. What was it like, uh, the actual hunt itself? Because um, I'm sure that, you know, even if people haven't been out collecting, someone must have seen maybe, uh, you know, like some of the pawn sh uh, shop or the, the pickers or, you know, going to the storage lockers. So they have an idea of maybe what collecting might be like. But uh, what was it like going to different places uh, to find these games and sometimes meeting people? I remember I had an old Texas Instruments TI-99 4A that my uncle gave me. And I remember having to hunt and finding someone like, you know, two hours from my house and driving out there and talking to them because it was like such unique to go searching for it. Do you have something like that in your hunt for the games? Yeah. I mean, we're going out and finding relics that are, you know, 30 plus years old. Um, I guess the biggest way I can describe it is I, I say it, I think in the first trailer where it was, Every day it feels like Christmas Eve, so it's like 30 Christmas Eves in a row. And that's really how it felt, man. Um, there's that feeling, and then <laughs> the other feeling I had was constant 
I guess fear would be the word. Um, because not knowing what's going to be in each place, if I see, let's just use an example, um, if I find Super Mario Brothers 3, the store has it for $15. Okay, do I pass up on it and move on and hope to get it for 5 bucks, Or am I going to not see it for cheaper? I mean, keep in mind, I did have a pretty limited budget, so it wasn't like I was going into every store and, oh, yeah, I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll take that. There's plenty of haggling. There's plenty of uh, bargains that I was getting from people. So it was the best feeling with the worst feeling, but I would do it again in a heartbeat, man, because it did was... You, sorry. No, I was going to say, did you have like an interesting character as far as when you were actually trying to purchase from like a person? Yeah, it's really quite amazing how you have a blank slate of a story and you go out and start shooting and what develops. I mean... Rob and I couldn't have wrote this stuff, the, the things that happened. It was crazy. Uh, we were at a wonderful store called Warp Zone, um, and the owner, Darren, was in contact with us um, and wanted to know if we would shoot at a store. It was on our route down to the States. We're like, sure, man, we'll come there. Um, so we actually had a lot of NES games, like a lot that he purchased for the film. Like, So I would go in and look, and he had some really rare gems that he brought in. Um, we also had a regular that, uh, what was that? Uh, there's a truck that was passing by. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so anyway, he had a regular, and I'm not going to name names. He's in the film, uh, that got wind of our little tour going through and he's also a collector. So he's like, Oh wow. Darren's getting in all these rare games. So we didn't show up till I think around 11 or noon. And the store opened at 10, and this guy was here right at 10. So Darren had already had the NES games out in his display case ready to go, right? Ready for us to look at. It. But he, he went in and he scooped up one of the big ones right, right out from under us, even though he knew we were going to shoot. Uh, and it was pretty cool. It was uh, pretty cool. I'm not going to wreck anything, but what happens between him and I and the interactions we have and the outcome of it is pretty cool. Road trips in itself usually are, are awesome when you have a, a group of friends, but it must be even more like when you're filming and you're hunting for games. Do you have like a uh, little tidbits that you can tell us maybe behind the scenes what it was like just on that trip? I slept a lot in the production van. I remember I remember the second the second road trip going down to Texas, it felt like a couple of hours, which it's not. It's like two days, but I remember sleeping a lot. Um, yeah, we, we made this game called Voices, and I'm not going to give you an example because it's embarrassing, but basically uh, there would be four of us sitting in the van. One guy would come up with a movie line. So let's just use uh, I Am Your Father as the movie line. Okay, so that's the line. And then the next guy would pick the voice to do it in. So the movie line would be I Am Your Father, do it in the voice of Jerry Seinfeld. So whoever was in the hot seat had to deliver this line as Jerry Seinfeld. We took it a step further, and we layered characters on top of each other, three of them. So it would be Seinfeld, he would do the line, and then the next guy would add a voice on that. So it would be like, the line is, I'm your father with Jerry Seinfeld and Miss Piggy from the Muppets. <laughs> he has to come up with a Jerry Seinfeld and Miss Piggy combination. <laughs> And then we did one more voice on top of that, but 
just try with your friends, man. It's it's entertaining and it kept us well, we were a little loopy from driving, but it kept us going for like three, four hours. It was a lot of fun. Now you know I'm gonna ask you one that you got stuck with that, that they made you do. Uh well they they always would do a lot of Star Trek stuff because the joke is, you know, Star Wars and Star Trek fans don't get along. I don't have anything against Star Trek. I don't particularly like it. So Rob would always be like, okay, the line is this now, Spock. Now Kirk. I'm like, come on, man. Like, give me give me something cool. So, yeah. That's always the joke. If you listen to our podcast, Rob's always throwing in some Star Trek references to annoy me because I usually begin it with some kind of Star Wars news. So. Overall, how how you know how would you feel about the, the reception that it's gotten? I mean, obviously it did well with the Kickstarter. You know, there's been a lot of interviews, good press. Um, you know, how overall have you felt about you know the fans' reaction and anticipation? Uh, it's it's completely humbling. I can't. I wake up every day and I can't believe the reception we've got. Um, the amount of people that just want to talk to us and uh, interview us, hang out with us, and just talk collecting. It's uh, it's something else, man. And, and the film's not even out yet, which is the really surprising part. Um, but we've met some wonderful people that I'm now proud to call my friends. All the list of people that I named in our film are now all dear friends of mine. So it's just been a wonderful experience. And we can't, we can't say enough that this community is amazing. We have to all keep positive and get each other's backs. We're all in this together. So Rob and I aren't gatekeepers, as he would say. We involve everybody in what we do. It's not just, this is our movie and you guys are the outsiders. We want everyone involved. So we come to all the events we can. We sign anything you want. We'll talk to you. Yeah, man, we just love hanging out. So That's, pretty, that's really cool, actually. Because, uh, you know, sometimes you do hear about people who, you know, once they get a little bit, I guess, a, a, what you'd say above or making that next step, that, you know, the ego can kick in. So it's really cool to, to you know, find people that yeah. are doing yeah. something, but they're still really cool. You hear about that all the time, man, you do. And, and I'm a musician too, so there's a lot of rock stars I look up to. And I kind of, you can compare the two where we wouldn't be where we are without fans or without people to show it to. So people who get a big ego, I don't understand that and treat people like crap. It's like without these people, you don't have anything. Do you know what I mean? Like you're creating content for people to watch and then you're crapping on them. It's just, we, we never understood that menta- the mentality of that. And um, we are very positive, happy guys. And I think that, that that'll be seen in the film and everyone will see that we don't have anything negative to say, you know, life's too short for that crap. So, Definitely. Now, one question that we also asked, Rob, we're going to put it to you. If Do you have like a top, let's say in this case, since we're talking NES, do you have a top NES game or maybe a, even a top three that you would list? My favorite <coughs> NES game is Zelda 2, uh, The Adventure of Link. Why? Because it was a game that scared the hell out of me as a kid because the brutal difficulty and after we shot the film, there was a lot of fears that I was facing. And again, you'll see it in the film. But 
that was one of them. As funny as that sounds, I was always afraid of that game. I was always afraid of how difficult it was. So I picked it up, and I didn't stop. And I actually finished it, I think, three times in one week. And now it's one of my favorite games. Um, NES games. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say Mario because I think that's just a given for everybody. <laughs> um, I really enjoy Gunnack because I love the guys who do that in the Blazing Laser games for uh, the Turbo Graphics. So Gunnack is a great top-down shooter if you've never tried it. It's fantastic. Um, right now, it changes from time to time, but right now I'm really into Mega Man 2. I really enjoy the second one a lot. I think it has the best bosses overall, the best power-ups. So those are my three. What are yours, man? I want to know what yours are. I love uh, Mario RPG. Um, I know that's a, a SNES game. Yeah, but... you're cheating, man. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess in NES, uh, Super Mario 3, and it's I think that just sat with me because uh, when I first got it, I didn't know I was getting it. I really wanted it. And then I remember I, I went to uh, relatives for uh, on Christmas, and my cousin, who was like 10 years older than me, is like, hey, um, I have a gift for you, but you need to dance first. And it's like, I hated doing any type of public stuff in front of people. And they're like, yeah. hey, if you want it, you get it. If not, I'll take it home. And I'm like, well, what is it? He's like, I'm not going to tell you. And I had a feeling it was a game, but I wasn't sure. And I remember getting up and dancing in front of everybody. and Everyone's laughing and everything. And it's embarrassing as hell. And then he hands me Super Mario 3. And I'm like, okay, totally worth it. So, uh, that I is, mean, that is definitely my top game. And now look, man, you're interviewing people. So there you go. Oh, yeah. Maybe that broke you up your shell there, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. The, the, being able to talk with different people, just like uh, you guys did in the documentary, is, is really important just to get not only the aspect of their culture and their background, but also like what they're into. And yeah. in our Obsolete Gamer, we realized that so many people, regardless of what they're doing now, whether it's making films, making brand new games or whatever, had some type of gaming background. So hearing about these old classic games that they grew up with and they still love today is really interesting. Um, as far as your collection, like what you have behind you, do you have like that piece that you would show and be like, oh my God, this is, you know, this is it. This is like the creme of at least the collection that we see there. Um, <laughs> uh, there's nothing that I can show at this time. No, unfortunately. Um, ah. Well, it looks actually, awesome though. <laughs> I, well, it's, it's uh, there's a lot of like new stuff, like it's three, a lot of 360 and like uh, PS3 stuff. I did actually just score a couple weeks ago. Uh, we did a panel, or sorry, an appearance at the Waterloo Game Swap, which is in Canada here, and um, I had a couple of extra amiibos. I'm sure you know about all that craze and all that stuff, right? So I had a couple extras, and I traded them for this vendor straight up for a sealed copy of Xenoblade on the Wii. I was like, "Whoa, nice, Xenoblade!" So yeah, I got I I just had that put into a frame and stuff like that. It's in the hallway over there, but yeah. So, well, let's uh, let's do it. Ask me that question again in like three or four months, and we'll we'll come back to it. Oh, definitely. Now, as far as uh, the film, when we get a chance to take a look at it. Uh, so right now, our first screening starts at uh, the end of June in LA. And then we're going to Vegas. Um, I'm bad with the dates. Rob has all these locked down. But he did say them in his interview. Um, 
we're going across North America again on what we're calling the Power Tour, which is uh, Pyre Productions, Rob's team actually shooting us going to the different cities and the different events. And uh, we're going to release an hour and 30 minute documentary for free online. So when the film is readily available for everyone, you'll be able to get this power tour kind of documentary as like a side piece that you can watch for free. And it'll be just a lot of fun. A lot of us, you know, just going out, uh, doing some game hunting, screening, doing some Q and A's and panels and the hijinks that no doubt will take place on the road again. <laughs> we're actually, sorry, we're, we're coming back to uh, our hometown of London, Ontario, London, Ontario here. Uh, at the end of September for three screenings and we are very excited because I mean that's our hometown right so to be able to show it at the Highland Theater and that is the theater that I saw Return of the Jedi when I was a kid so to be able to screen it on that is really really exciting for me too so the film is Nintendo Quest and you all I know y'all gonna be seeing it so we're gonna keep up to date with a lot of information so you can keep track of it as well and uh, Jay, thanks for coming on, and hopefully uh, you can come back on and we can talk some more about your collection and, and your games. Absolutely, man. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. All right, and this was the Obsolete Gamer Show. I am Jay Rock. We are sponsored by Obsolete Gamer, where gamers come to talk. We will be back soon for another episode, but until then, remember our motto, never stop gaming. We'll see you later.